Father, I pray that you give us ears to hear today, minds to comprehend, hearts with fertile soil, feet that are willing to be obedient. I pray that you would do a work today. May we walk out of here hopeful, encouraged, with greater surrender for you. Father, I pray that you would keep our attention on you. Not everything else, but keep our attention on you. May we honor you in this moment. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So all over the place, I see where culture is telling the church that we are taking Jesus too seriously and we must love better or be more gracious. Does anyone else see that? That, that people are telling us that we're Bible thumpers or, or we take Jesus way too seriously. It's like what the world is telling us as the church is we just need to relax. We need to be a little bit more permissive and on most things, or we need to be more permissive on most things, because in the end, what Jesus tell us, tells us is, our job as the church is to love. Does anyone feel that pressure from the world participating? Our job is to love. And you guys are just way too religious. See, the world wants the church to accept popular worldly values, and then the world says they will accept the church once we do that. Isn't that kind of weird? If you guys would just be more like us, then we would accept you more. Well, number one, Christians do not live for the acceptance of the world. We live for the acceptance of our Father. Yet, um, I do see churches bending. I do see the body of Christ bending to the agenda of the world. And what I want to ask is this, is what if the problem in the church isn't that we are taking him too seriously? What if the problem in the church is we are not taking him seriously enough? And that's what spurred in me through prayer, the Sermon on the Mount, is what if we are not taking him seriously enough? I hope as we work our way through this sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount, that we will be able to answer that question. Are we as individuals, are we collectively as the church taking Jesus seriously enough. Now, there are a couple ways to interpret the Sermon on the Mount. Actually, there are um, probably even 10 ways to interpret the Sermon on the Mount, and the other eight had nothing really to do with um, what we would believe about Jesus, so there was no need to even present them today. But one of the ways that I believe the Sermon on the Mount is to be understood is it's a call to repentance. 
The sermon's intent is to reveal our spiritual impotency and drive us to repentance. So it's going to reveal to us where we fall short. And when we fall short, we should never have the position of, oh, I'm a horrible human being. God hates me. Um, I can never be good enough. When we see the problem areas in our life, what we say is, God, I do recognize I'll never be enough. I'm sorry about um, this area in my life. Please forgive me and please help me. And it sounds like we have a monsoon going on out there. So um, the sermon's intent is to reveal our spiritual problems. The next part is this, is um, another way to interpret it is principles of life for kingdom citizens. So I believe, I can speak for most of us in here, I believe that most of us in here are kingdom citizens. Other people in here, um, I don't know you quite that well. But the sermon is a commission of conduct for Jesus' followers at any time in any age. This view sees that God's kingdom as initiated in the first century, currently present, and still awaiting fullness at Christ's second coming. And both of these um, perspectives, I would agree. So to set the tone for today's sermon, or the Sermon on the Mount, we should know what happened before it. You know, we're just not going to start with Jesus on this mountain preaching. Let's get into what happened right before so what happened right before is Jesus is in the wilderness and he's being tempted. Many of you guys are familiar with that story. Tempted of many things. And one of the things that I greatly appreciate about Jesus' temptation is whenever he was tempted, he presented God's word to that temptation. <clears throat> I wonder how different our life will look is that, or I wonder how different our life will look whenever we are tempted, we also combated that temptation with speaking God's word. Speak God's word when you're tempted this week. Rather, clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ than think about how to gratify the desires of your sinful nature. Romans 13, 12. Matthew 6, 33. Rather, clothe yourself with the Lord... Or sorry. Anyone? I was reading Romans again. <laughs> Matthew 6, 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. So when you're tempted, right, know some scripture, memorize some scripture, so that you can use the offensive weapon in the body of Christ, which is the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. Amen? So Jesus is in the wilderness right before the Sermon on the Mount. He's being tempted by Satan, and then while he's tempting, being tempted, he's also fasting, and he's also praying. He's by himself quoting scripture for 40 days and 40 nights. You know what we often forget about in that sermon is <clears throat> I start to lose my values about four hours after not having a snack. <laughs> I mean, my, my self-control, the frustration, I begin to get hangry. Um, so after church, if you, you're talking to me and I feel like, or you feel like I'm somewhere else, it's probably because I'm mad because I'm hungry. So you can have the Snickers for me 
and I'll be right back with you. <clears throat> Joe, <laughs> yeah, Joey, you look like you need a Snickers. I do. It'll bring me right back. But after just a few hours or a day, you just start getting mad and angry and short with people. Jesus was sinless through 40 days of eating or without eating. Praise God. So after he resisted the temptation in the wilderness, he walked out in power. After he fasted, he walked out in power. After he spent time alone with Christ in intimacy, he walked out in power. And I wonder those times that we're tempted and we seek the Father's face and we quote scripture back to him, right? We quote scripture to the temptation and we run like Joseph away from that temptation. I wonder how many times we'll walk out in power. See, sometimes I feel like that temptation comes so that it's almost like God saying, hey, there, there, there's this uh, increase in your life. There's more power that I want to bring to you. There's a greater authority that I want to bring to you. Because really what ends up happening in the wilderness is because Jesus overcame all those temptations, he actually, his upgrade came because he didn't have to worry about those things anymore in the sense of like, he already overcame those temptations. So I wonder how many times when we overcome our temptations and they're now behind us, how much of an upgrade we have. Make sense? So Jesus walks out in power. Jesus then, after he walks out in power, he begins to preach. And his message was really simple. Repent, for the kingdom of God is near. That's for you and I today. Repent, for the kingdom of God is near. Then, as he's preaching that message, he then calls his disciples to follow him. And he says, I will send you out to fish for people. Sounds kind of fun. Jesus goes throughout Galilee teaching, proclaiming the good news, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. See, Matthew tells us he healed every disease. Mark sometimes tells us he healed many of the diseases. At the end of John, what does John tell us? I suppose if I wrote down everything that Jesus, every good thing that Jesus has ever done, the whole world couldn't contain it. So we're hearing part of that story of Jesus healing every disease and every sickness among the people. So the paralyzed, healed, the possessed, delivered, people in severe pain, healed, seizures, healed, various diseases, healed. Jesus healed them all. Amen? That's who our God is. Consequently, because of the momentum, because Jesus came out in power, because Luke tells us that Jesus was growing in favor with God and with man, that was when he was younger though, right? But he's still growing in that. Large crowds are interested in who he is. So large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across from the Jordan followed him. So that's what's happening. Came out of the wilderness with power, calling his disciples, healing people, and now people want to follow him. They want to see what's up with this guy. 
So really making this occasion for the Sermon on the Mount really significant. It was important because people are now interested. The sermon was delivered when Jesus saw a big crowd. Again, he saw a melting pot of people from all over following him. It was almost as if Jesus waited for the crowd to reach its max size. And once the crowd reached its max size, Jesus was moved to a place of brokenness. Do you guys ever go to bigger events? And when you're at these bigger events, your heart breaks for the people around you? Maybe you're at a pumpkin festival, or you went down to um, Yellow Springs for one of their, what do they even call them? Um, you go ahead, thank you, street fairs. Um, you know, maybe you go down there and your heart just breaks for the people around you. Anyone ever experienced your heart breaking for people around you at bigger events? And you're like, I don't even know what to do with it, but my heart breaks. So now Jesus has thousands of people around him, and I believe that his heart begins to break. And he says, I want to teach them about the kingdom. I want to teach them about the kingdom. And um, he realizes he has ignorant people around him, people full of regret, people living in sin, and he has people that are carrying hurt that they don't know what to do with it. And I believe that those who are believers should also sniff out these sorts of things. It's just not for Jesus to sniff those out because Jesus told us in the book of John that we will do far surpassing than him, far greater things than him. Not only will we do the works that he did, but we're actually gonna do more. So what Jesus was doing here is he was sniffing out that the word, or sorry, that the world and the people needed a word from him. And um, we are to remember that we must not be negligent in sharing with those who are eager to listen in spite of the results. Um, pick on my sister for a moment. I shared a story several couple months ago about just bringing up the name of Jesus to a guy at the gym. He has cancer and just brought up the name of Jesus and, and I really saw no fruit from it. Maybe uh, there's some fruit coming from it a couple years later. So my sister called me and she said, hey, I remembered you telling me this story about you being at the gym and mentioning this story. And sometimes just bringing up the name of Jesus is important. So she is in Marysville, maybe a month ago or three weeks ago. And while she's in Marysville, she sees a license plate that appears to uh, say, Hail Satan. And it broke her heart. And she's like, that person needs to know Jesus. So she said, you know what? Jordan, watch the kids. I'm going to go over here. I'm okay with that. Jordan's still within um, walking distance. Um, God moved her by compassion. How horrible would it be if Macy's like, hey, God moved me by compassion. Now go have Stu do it. <laughs> you know, the church does that a lot. I'm moved by compassion by my neighbor. Let me call a leader. It's not how it works. 
See, God's authority is on the one that he gives the compassion to. Amen? So Randy was moved by compassion. So she goes up to this person and she says, interesting license plate, just as Paul said to the unknown gods. She says, interesting license plate, can you tell me um, more about it? Nothing really. So she says, have you ever heard about Jesus? And the person says, no. Can I share my story about Jesus? And the person says, no. So Randy's asked people to pray for this person and um, share, or if she ever sees it again, I'm sure she'll go check in, even be that weird person riding the bumper to go find him. <laughs> Hunt him down. But she took the opportunity with a captive audience to just bring up the name of Jesus. So uh, thank you for doing that. Now, Jesus here, he has an audience that wants to listen a little bit more than that person. So imagine having people who are anxious to hear, but we neglect sharing it. That's what we have to look at right now. Imagine if Jesus would have walked away from this crowd of thousands of people. Imagine if we walk away from the crowd of thousands of people. Imagine if we walk away from the crowd of hundreds of people. Imagine if we walk away from our family at Thanksgiving, the 20 people gathered, and not bring up the name of Jesus. Imagine if we walk away from the one neighbor or the one coworker who was just waiting to hear the word of Jesus. See, Jesus recognized their brokenness. Randy Rose recognized the brokenness because of the license plate. There's moments in our life where we recognize the brokenness of the people around us because God does something in us, and that, that's him stirring us up to say, there's a captive audience. I want you to present my love and my word to these people. And we must follow Jesus' way because Jesus took that opportunity. Amen? God is sending us captive audiences. Now, I do want to share this story. I believe it's relevant to today's message about a captive audience. We were celebrating Macy's birthday with her mom on Wednesday. I am becoming, um, I'm learning how to enjoy doing something other than buying food with Macy. If we go grocery shopping, I'm good. You know, I'm dreaming of what I get to eat, what I get to make, all this good food. We're in and out. We go shoe shopping, pants shopping. It's like, man, I am stressed out the moment we walk in the mall. If I don't have a coffee in my hand, I'm out. You know what the coffee does, though, is the coffee provides me five bathroom breaks within the hour so I can change my scenery and I'm good. Can I get a witness, men? Come on, somebody. So I'm learning to grow in this. So we started uh, early evening with Macy and her mom. We go to one store, and it's just like, in my mind, I keep on telling myself, once we get done with this, once we get this item, we're done. And it's like, we got the item, and I'm like, yeah, praise God. You know, like, this is going to be an early, quick birthday celebration. We're going to go eat some food. We're going to be home. And then um, nothing wrong with this. Macy's like, I want to go to another store. And I'm like, well, it's your birthday. Like, we're, we're going to celebrate it. So we, we go to this other store, and um, I looked at all my stuff, and there was nothing that I wanted. And I come back and check in, and 
I'm like, there's nothing. I am going to go to the bathroom. So I go to the bathroom, come back, and it's just like another hour and a half in that store. Um, the only, praise God, the only reason we left is because we were closing down that store. <laughs> so we closed down that store, and um, now we're going to one more store. I'm like, I thought they were all closed in the area, but one more store, and we're going to it. I'm trying to keep my face happy, and when we walk in, I'm like, I'm not going to even go stand over there with you. I'm just going to let you guys do your stuff. I'm going to go look at my stuff, see if there's anything. And uh, Macy goes to the left, and I go to the right, um, and I walk all the way to the back to the clearance, and when I get to the clearance, my heart immediately broke for someone looking for clothes. Absolutely broke. My whole being said, this guy needs Jesus. It's Macy's birthday celebration, God. It's like, well, you're not even hanging out with her anyways. <laughs> you bum. So now I'm wrestling. Uh, I'm sitting back in the clearance all the way at the back, sifting through clothes. Nothing, 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 nothing. All right, God, if you want me to talk to this guy, he's just going to come back here. If he comes back here, I'll talk to him about you. If he comes back here, I'll talk to him. If he comes back here, I'll talk to him. I will. And it's like 10 minutes just sifting through the same clothes. Just, I didn't even move my feet. Just <laughs> stressing out. So then I finally moved to the closer section. I'm like, this guy's gone. I don't see him anymore. God, you didn't want me to talk to him. So now I'm looking at more shirts, and there was an office shirt, Dunder Mifflin. And I'm like, oh, maybe I'll buy this one. And 20 bucks. Nope, too much. Threw it back. God, do you want me to talk to this guy? Did you want me to talk to this guy? Well, then I look over. He's at the cash register. And he's there, still there. I'm like, oh, well. You probably don't want me to talk to him because he never came back to the clearance. But my heart continued to break and to break and to break that I needed to talk to this guy. God, what would I even say to him? I don't even know what I'm going to say to him. I don't know. So then I'm like, I don't know what to do. You didn't answer my request. The guy was at the cash register for 10 minutes. Other people are checking out, and he just remained there, and he remained there, and he remained there, and he remained there, and he remained there, having some kind of problem, and he remained there, and he remained there, and then he checked out. I'm like, okay. Um. I kind of like tailgate behind him. I'm like, hey, buddy. And he turns around, and um, I didn't know what I was going to say. But I'm just reminded of Scripture where Jesus said, when you make disciples, surely I will be with you. I'm reminded of when uh, scripture tells us that when in the end of age, when we're beaten and we're flogged by our friends and our family members, don't worry about what to say because Jesus will be with you. Most times I never have what I'm going to share with that person until I'm face to face with that person and then the Holy Spirit reveals it. And that's always scary. And I'm nervous. This guy's bigger than me. And um, I go up to him and like, hey, buddy. He's like, hey, what's up? It's going to get into it. I'm a Christian. And um, when I walked past you earlier in the back, my heart completely broke for you. And usually what ends up happening when, 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 when God does that is he wants to encourage someone. Okay. 
I'm like, God, you better do something. And I said, um, I feel like what God's telling me right now is that um, you have a problem with a relationship in your life. And he said, be more specific. I said, I feel like God's saying there's a female in your life that you're at extreme confrontation with. And he looked at me and his eyes started to water. And he said, my wife and I have been married eight years. We are not even close to connecting on any cylinders right now. And, um, you know, he just started to pour then his heart out about what was going on with his wife. And he said, in February, my son was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. So now it's, you know, 70 hospital visits since February. And the doctors can't figure it out. And it's like, what am I paying you for if I can't figure it out? So she's busy with her work, and I'm busy with my stuff, and then now my kid, and we are not connecting. And I said, well, I just want you to know that me, who knows nothing about you, weird dude following you around the store, comes up to you and reveals to you this relationship problem in your life. The next thing I need to tell you is that there's hope. Jesus sent me here tonight because there was hope. There's hope in your marriage. There's hope in your son's life. And I said, are you a believer? He said, I believe. I said, well, it seems like you're just a rebellious believer. And he said, yeah, just I've been rebellious. Um, I believe, but not really a churchgoer. So I said, I want you to do one thing. And the one thing is, is you go home, or two things, you go home, and men, you can always find something to be sorry about to your wife. There's always something. Because I said, in my household, I'm always the smartest person. And if my wife would listen to me about her job, if my wife would listen to me about the dogs, if my wife would listen to me about the grass, the world would be a perfect place. And I was saying that, not saying that that's true. I was saying that because I'm wrong. I don't have all the answers. So I can often go back and reflect of, you know what, Macy, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Do I need to do it more? Yes. So I told him, find something to go home and humble yourself before your wife during this season. And then the next thing is, is tell your wife you're gonna find a church to go to for four straight weeks and watch God show up in your life. He said, okay. Um, and then he added me on Facebook, so I was surprised. So um, that story is all about Jesus and captive audiences. Like, one day when I faced Jesus, how many times did I not take advantage of that captive audience moment and that brokenness that I felt? I could have walked out, and, and, and here's what's really fun about it. When I left, I was just as encouraged as him. Because I said, wait a second, the creator of the heavens and the earth has spoken to me. I don't know this guy, I know nothing about him. But the brokenness I felt, and not only the brokenness, but the relationship issue with a female in his life, God, God was speaking to me. Listen to this. The God of the universe somehow speaks to us through our emotions, through our hearts, through our brokenness, through our mourning. So, Jesus.
because he felt the brokenness in the crowd and because he saw it, he was willing to act on it. And just as Jesus was willing to act on the brokenness that he felt, you and I are called to operate on the brokenness. Amen? It's not going to be easy. Um, my voice was shaking. This, this is one of the scarier times that I've done it. I don't know why. It was probably because it was urgent. My voice was crackling. You don't get that a lot from me. Um, and I told him, I said, you heard how nervous I was. He said, yeah. I said, but now that we're talking, it's straight, right? He said, yep. So we shook hands and he left. Take advantage of the opportunities that God puts in front of us immediately and watch him show up. See, it's good to fish when the fish are hungry, right? It's good to fish when the fish are awake. It's good to hunt when the prey comes around. Talking to Jake last night while he was out in his tree stand, just waiting for the deer to come by. Just waiting on him to come by. What you doing, Jake? Out here in the stand. How late are you going to be out here? All night. It's best to hunt when the deer come around. Just as Jesus is about to use this opportunity given to him to preach when the people are around, we are to use the opportunity that God gives us to share our faith. How about this? The random story that you hear from someone at work that needs help. The heartbreak you feel when some, uh, for someone during tragedy. The random people you find yourself around that you never thought you'd be hanging out with. These are just three examples that God has given us to use as a captive audience. Either way, the nature of the Sermon on the Mount, especially the Beatitudes, has often confused people. We must be careful not to make this a, how do I get to heaven, checklist. Because it's not. The Beatitudes are not that. This is more of a description of a Christian rather than a prescription. You don't need to go get a prescription for this. The sermon doesn't tell us how to live or how to get into heaven. Rather, it's teaching us how those in the kingdom should live. It's teaching, it's describing to us the characteristics of those within the kingdom. Now look, as I go through the Sermon on the Mount, do I possess everything that it describes? No, I don't. But thankfully, he who began a good work in me is going to bring it to completion. Thankfully, that sanctification is going to take place throughout my life, that I will be more meek, that I will be more um, poor in the spirit, that it will show more mercy. But this is a description, not something that we say, I'm going to strive to be this. Because you can't fake being humble, right? You can't fake being merciful. So, Understand as we go through the Sermon on the Mount, it's a description of what we should possess. And if we don't possess it, guess what? That reveals to us an area that we can ask God to help grow us. Amen? You guys alive today? 
Matthew 5, if you have your Bibles, verses 1 through 12. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. The disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, I always want to say blessed here, which I probably could, but um, I'm just going to say blessed. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So in the first 12 verses, we learn the Beatitudes and who is blessed by God. The list of the blessed people includes the poor in spirit, those who mourn, the meek, those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, the persecuted, and those who are insulted, persecuted, and have um, false things said against them because of Christ. You know, you can have false things said against you and it not be about Christ and you're not blessed. And a lot of times people are like, hey, I'm blessed because someone said, said something bad about me. And in reality, you're not blessed. You're just taking the easy way out. We only receive the blessing when it's because of Christ's sake. Amen? And they might have been right, too. Yeah. So if these were a prescription of how you and I were supposed to live, right? If the Beatitudes were about a prescription. So here's how MCF you're supposed to live. This would lead us to a place that would suggest being happy, being joyful, being brave would all be a sin. Do you guys see that? So it can't be a prescription of how we're supposed to live. It has to be something more. Or it would suggest that being sad and weak are signs of spiritual maturity. And that's clearly not the case. So to make my point, Jesus isn't prescribing how to be blessed. He's describing who is blessed. Does that make sense to you guys? A description of you. Jesus completely flips around the world's um, thought of what right living is. The world says right living possesses being tough, being influential, being happy, being wealthy, having the biggest retirements, having loads of friends. Yet Jesus in the Beatitudes says something 
Well, Jesus essentially says, the first shall be last in the Beatitudes. One author says it this way, too often those characteristics of the Beatitudes are turned into ideals we must strive to attain. As ideals, they can become formulas for power rather than descriptions of the kind of people characteristics of the new age brought by Christ. Thus, Jesus does not tell us that we should try to become poor in spirit or meek or peacemakers. He simply says that many who are called into the kingdom will find themselves so constituted. So there's a picture that I saw that I want, would like to put up. So as you see here, who is really blessed according to the world versus the kingdom of heaven. See, the world wants to tell us that the powerful, the rich, the influential, the popular, and the strong, that's how they're blessed. Anyone ever been told that? Yes. That's how we've been raised our whole life. From kindergarten, we start filling out what do we want to do with our life. And before, um, before we fill out what we want to do with our life, then... Um, the teacher ends up telling us, you could be whatever you want. You can be a cop, you can be an astronaut, you can be a president, you can be a lawyer, you can be a congressman, you can be a doctor. And they start sharing all of these high, you can be an NFL football player, you can even be in the NBA. You can do whatever you want. And all of the things that are often presented are those by which is powerful and influential within the world. Right? So the kingdom of the world tells us that's how we become blessed. Get your retirement and have it just huge, right? Huge. That doesn't make sense anymore, does it? But what does the kingdom of heaven tell us? What are the Beatitudes going to tell us? What's the Sermon on the Mount going to tell us about how as believers we are to be blessed? The overlooked. We're not striving for this. But those within the kingdom will be overlooked. Those within the kingdom will be peaceful. Those within the kingdom will have a purity to them. Those within the kingdom will possess a meekness. Those within the kingdom will not necessarily be sad, but there's going to be this mourning spirit about them because of the world. And those of the kingdom will be poor. Now, does poor mean physically poor? We're going to get to that. Uh, materialistically poor, we're going to get to that. But how are you trying to be blessed today? What blessings have you been pursuing? I believe that there's more blessings when we get on our knees than when we go to Starbucks, Chipotle, Ryan's, Frickers, Golden Corral, Taco Bell. There's more blessings than celebrating one's birthday. Blessings are found when we're on our knees. So I just want to touch on the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. One author says it this way. Uh, I really like their perspective, so I um, wanted to read it, and I didn't want to take credit for it. 
The poor in spirit cry out to God for help. Depend entirely on God's grace to meet their needs. Have a humble and contrite spirit. Experience God's deliverance and enjoy his undeserved favor. When then is poor in the spirit? It is a sense of powerlessness in ourselves. It is a sense of spiritual bankruptcy and helplessness before God. It is a sense of moral uncleanness before God. It, in a sense, sorry, it is a sense of personal unworthiness before God. It, in a sense, is, um, it is, sorry, it is a sense that if there is to be any life or joy or usefulness, it will have to be all from God and all from God's grace. Amen? Macy and I often celebrate, um, or recently um, we celebrate how God has been using our church to impact this community. And um, what we say is, it's nothing that we've done. Nothing. It's all about Jesus. So there's this powerlessness that we recognize. Now, this has nothing to do with money. Being poor in spirit has nothing to do with money. There are poor people that have no humility. Anyone ever met them? Anyone ever met a poor person that has absolutely no humility? And then there's rich people that are extremely poor in the spirit. Now, if poverty was, well, poverty isn't virtuous. It's also, um, yeah, it's just not, poverty in itself is not virtuous. If poverty was virtuous, it would mean that when um, we help out the poor, we are actually stealing their blessing. Do you see that? So that would contradict the kingdom. If, now, here's what I'm also not saying, because some people are going to say, well, Joey was prosperity preaching. I'm also not prosperity preaching. But being financially poor within itself is not a virtue, right? It's just, you're poor. Because if it was, then that would mean that when we give or when we send gifts around the world, then what that would mean is we are stealing a blessing. Though Jesus does say this in Matthew 24, again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for anyone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. That's also scary too. So it's not, it's not um, virtuous to be poor. It's also not virtuous to be rich because it's harder for a rich man to make it through it, or it's easier for a rich man to make it through an eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to go to heaven. Yes, you get it. <laughs> You're with me. Or I could just read it, right? <laughs> he continues to say, what Jesus continues to tell right after that, though, is what is impossible with man is possible with God. So what he's saying is, yeah, essentially what I'm telling you is it is impossible for a rich man to make it to heaven. But what is impossible with man is possible with God. Thank you, Jesus. And I would say this, 
who are rich in here today? All of us. Who needed something possible by God to get us to heaven? We all did. Amen? So we are to remain poor in spirit because of what we were and what we can become because of what Jesus is doing in us. See, we can all look to our past and say, thank God for who I no longer am. Jesus, thank you for where you brought me. But we also have to be careful and we have to remain poor in the spirit because of what we can become, right? We can become something different in a moment. We think we settle. We feel like things are good in our life. So then we, we don't read as much and we don't pray as much. We can, people's lives change in one moment. What scares me about this church ever growing is when I start to see bigger churches, I start to see all these scandals within leadership and scandals within the pastors at the church, and it scares me. Because I'm like, God, I'll be good with 80 people every week as long as we're serving you and loving you and preaching the good news. It scares me what churches and leadership becomes when things um, grow. It's, um, we must remain poor in the spirit. So when we remain poor in the spirit, we... Um, we remain poor in the spirit because of what we were. Do you guys remember who you were? Happens to all of us. Do you remember who you were? That's why you remain poor in the spirit. You remember what you did in the peak of your sin. And you're like, I'm in the peak of my sin right now. Praise God, we have a good and faithful king that laid down his life for you. But we remain humble because of who we were. And we have to keep that humility because of what we can become. Do any of you guys recognize that you can become something? If you don't pick up your cross and deny yourself each day, you're going to become something really wretched. That's why it's not a one-day decision. It's not a one-time decision. It's not I was saved and then, then I was done. That's why Jesus tells us, pick up your cross and deny yourself each day. Amen. So when we possess this brokenness, when we remain poor in the spirit, it helps us not become what we don't want to become. So do you see yourself as someone who is in need of God each day and one who can whose hope is only in Jesus, then rejoice and be happy in the spiritual dilemma that you have. When you find yourself in need of Jesus, when you find yourself in any situation that is requiring you to pray and talk to Jesus, rejoice. Amen? We should be mourning. Oh, sorry, now we're going to go to... Uh, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. We should be mourning for the world that mostly rejects Jesus Christ. That's what we see happening right now, a world rejecting Jesus. I mean, if you just turn on the TV or get on Facebook, you will see all the horrible things about this fallen world. And I dare to say this, the world that even the media presents is not how evil the world is.
there's so many other things that are going on that we wouldn't even um, believe. Uh, many people um, run from it with what's happening in the occult and sex slavery and abortions and killing of the saints. Um, what the media presents, the world is much, much worse than what it really is. Um, those with Christ's, those with Christ's heart should be mourning the war against God in the world. What ends up happening is what I've seen here, what I've seen some within our communities, a lot within the American church, is the American church isn't mourning the fact that there's a war against him and setting people free. The American church is mourning their worldly freedoms. Can anyone relate to that? Here, I'll be honest. I have mourned that I feel like I'm losing some of my worldly freedoms. I have done that. Anyone else? See, what, 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 what I believe the Sermon on the Mount has tried to teach us is this, is our mourning shouldn't be about us. Our mourning should be about the kingdom of God. Our, our, our mourning, those who are in the kingdom should be described as those who when they mourn, they're mourning for sake of kingdom things, not their things. Of course you're going to mourn over losing your job. Of course you're going to mourn over losing your pet. Of course you're going to mourn over losing a family member. You don't have to be in the kingdom to do that. But those within the kingdom should possess this characteristic that mourns for the war against God and Jesus in this world. So I'll say it again, and I've said it a lot. Until America stops wanting a political savior more than they want the actual savior of their sins, we're going to be wandering in the desert. So, you know what? Start pursuing a savior, not a, poli not a political figure. And I'm not even talking about a person. We're crying out to Jesus more for a political figure than we are him, more than we possess the ability to be poor in the spirit and recognize that we have a need for him, right? The American church, I would say, is lacking being poor in the spirit because the American church is the first one to say, we need a political savior, we need a political savior. No, I need a savior for my sins. I need a savior for how messed up I am. And maybe the only sin I was aware of today thus far coming to churches that I sped. And you're like, well, you always harp on me about speeding because it's easy to pick on. Right? And I'm filtering right now. <laughs> I'm like, I'm just going to, I'm just going to let them rip right now. Filter, 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 filter. So I'm going to keep on using speeding. Even if speeding was the only sin I've ever committed, I've broken the law of the land by which God tells me to submit to. That should cause in me a place of being poor in the spirit. God, I need you. I'm not holy. 
what we see is far from what we see in America, what we see in the world is far from God's original intent for us being fed, safe, having purpose, walking in intimacy with him. That's what he wanted. Yet what we see in this world is aborted babies, sex slavery, abuse of many kinds, homelessness, drugs, lies, adultery, fornication. Actually, what we're seeing in this world today is people taking what was good and making it evil and what is evil making it good. Will you mourn that? Not mourn it through a political savior. Mourn it because what it means is these people don't know Jesus, and if these people aren't covered by the blood of Jesus, these people are going to hell. People of the kingdom will mourn over the brokenness and the battle against Christ. Amen? The list goes on of horrible, evil things that are happening within this world. Those who are following Christ should find themselves mourning because of the evil within this world. And that should cause us to try to do something about it because the closer we get to it, the more we feel the pain of those who are hurting. We mourn because this world is far from what God has intended. Amen? Let's pray. God, um, I pray that um, through sanctification, through trials and tribulation, through iron sharpening iron, that you would, um, you would help us mourn and sense the things that you want us to mourn over um, because of this world. Father, I pray that, um, that we'd have this poor spirit before you understanding our need for you. May we take the opportunities that you put in front of us this week, knowing that the words will come when we open up our mouth. And sometimes all we need to say is Jesus loves you. Father, we do pray for this nation. More than a political figure, Father, I pray that this nation would know you as king, know you as savior, know you as the one that died on the cross as the one way to heaven and resurrected the grave three days later. In Jesus' name, amen.